You are listening to a sermon from the pulpit of Camden First Church of the Nazarene in Camden, South Carolina. We are located at 2276 Jefferson Davis Highway, and you are invited to join us each Sunday at 11 a.m. Thank you for visiting CamdenFirstChurch.org. This morning we're we're beginning a new series, and I've been I've been so excited about it. Uh, we're beginning a series called Engage, Making a Marriage, and I, I want to give you warning because. In, in, in preparing for this sermon, I've been preparing for this sermon for, for many, many weeks now. Um, I feel, not only uh, in, in my heart of hearts, but in, in other, other families that are experiencing some things, uh, Satan is trying to attack us. And, and I really, I really believe that he, under, he knows that, the, that one of the main footholds that he has with us is in our marriages. And I think that he is scared uh, to death. That's kind of an oxymoron, but uh, Satan. But anyway, um, I think he is scared because he understands that if we begin to look at our marriages, if we begin to 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 see what it, what God wants in our marriages, I believe he'll begin to see himself losing even more. And so I want I want to I, I want to put you on guard. I, 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 just guard your heart. And uh, there's just through some sicknesses and other things. It's just I feel like that that the devil really doesn't want us talking about this. But we're going to talk about it anyway. Amen? Amen. So we're looking at, at making, making a marriage. How do you, how do you make a, a marriage? This is a question that's been asked numerous times by numerous couples. It is a question that, that I'm excited about tackling for the next few weeks because I think it's important for the church to address this issue. I mean, I really feel like that, that the church has done a disservice for not properly addressing this issue because too many times we we even within the church we've seen we've seen marriages come to an end you understand that that uh in the i think from the 40s to the 60s um only about 15 or 20 percent of marriages ended in divorce but you know now that 50 percent of marriages end in divorce and you say oh preacher that's called they're not in church no when you when you do the same when you do the same study within the Christian community, it's the same percentage. Oh, it's it, and, and it breaks my heart. And so this is why, as a church, we want to we want to explore this, and and, and so I'm really excited about about tackling this because I think the church the church needs to address this, and, and, and it could be that that in these next few weeks and and through our, our marriage seminar that we're going to be doing in February, it, it could be that or I hope. That, that the, the connection in your marriage is, is strengthened. And really, just really excited about, about all, that, uh, all that we're going to be doing. And so some of you are saying, well, they're talking about marriage. That's fine. I'm not married, so I can check out. I won't be here for the next couple of weeks. I, I ask you to please stay with us for several reasons. One, you may not be married now, but perhaps you're planning on it. Allow the next few, uh, weeks to be opportunity to, to gain a perspective on what you would want in your future marriage too. The principles we talk about are not exclusive to marriage. We were my, my Sunday school class. We're, we're beginning a uh, a series on a book called the Five Love Languages, and and uh, one of the one of the folks in the class made the statement today that while this is talking about marriage, this also relates to how we communicate with not just with our spouse but with other people. So stay with me, stay with me because. I feel like, or I know, when the Word of God is opened, 
that truth is going to speak to you no matter your situation in life. And three, sit with me because we're a community. We are a Christian community. We don't have the right to say, well, that doesn't pertain to me, so I'm, I'm going to check out. No, when you are part of the Christian, this is your church. You have friends who are married. You have friends who may need you in times of trouble. So stick with me. Stick with me. You, you, you got to know that the Bible, the Bible not, doesn't have a one book. It doesn't have a chapter dedicated to marriage. I mean, you just can't read a few chapters of the Bible and, and say, okay, good, I, I'm great. I, got, I, I know how to do the perfect marriage. No, unfortunately, there's not just one book set aside to where you read it in the Bible and you're good. However, as we look to the Bible, we will notice various principles that can be and must be applied to our marriage if it's going to be successful. While the Bible may not offer a 10-step program to, to, a, to a healthy marriage, it does provide the vision for what marriage is. And as, as one scholar suggests, the Old Testament reveals a significant part of God's vision for marriage. And so today we're going we're to be looking at God's vision for marriage. Next week it's going to be a little more practical. We're going to be looking at... Uh, communication breakdowns within marriage. Uh, my wife, Casey, is going to be helping me uh, with that. I'm excited about next week. Um, there won't be a pulpit here. hope that'll be okay. Uh, there won't be a pulpit here. Uh, there'll be a table, and uh, we're, going to have, we're, going to, we're just going to have a talk at the dinner table next week. Is that okay? And so really, really, really excited about that. But our, our text this morning is Genesis 1, 26 to 29. I invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 1 if you would. Many, many argue that marriage is a, is a human institution, but the joining of male and female goes all the way back to God's activity at creation. The first three chapters of Genesis gives us this vision of marriage and the relationship between male and female. Let's look at Genesis 1. Look at verse 26. If you would. Hear the word of the Lord. Then God said, let us make humankind, if you have an NIV that says man, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female he created them. This is a very familiar passage. This is, this is the story of creation. And, and, and we understand that what's going on here, God, is, God has been separating light. God has been making plants to, to come up from the ground. And God's been doing all of this, all of this great creative work. And then he comes, to, he comes to a very, very important part of the creation. The most important part of the creation story. As we look at the Genesis text, we're going to look at Genesis 1, we're going to look at Genesis 2. Allow me to explain two things. We can view the Genesis account as a literal account of how God created the world and us. That's fine. But for today, let's, let's just view this as how God created. Let's not just view it as what God created, but let's view this text as who God created 
and why God created. But see, I believe if we examine the Genesis text close enough that that we won't just see an account of scientific creation, but we'll see the the true intention for humanity. In, In the Genesis text, we will see what God intended for humanity to be before the fall. We see the the big picture of life. Genesis, more than anything, shows us the why and the who of creation. The scientists, they they can have the when and the how, that's fine. For the Christian community, what's important to us is the who he created and the why he created. Let's unpack the text here a little bit. God said, let us make humankind, or let us make, let us make man in our image. Now, as we unpack this, this verse here, you've got to know a couple of things. The word translated humankind, or, or man, is the Hebrew word Adam. Turn to your neighbor and say, Adam. Adam. Or, if you're, you can just say Adam, if you, want to be, if you just want to be South Carolinian, Adam. But but the, but the the Hebrew word is is Adam and and yes it's spelled just like at the name Adam A D A M. While some English translations will translate this word man, the the original Hebrew of Adam does not carry with it any gender designation. Adam or Adam here in this context is not used to differentiate between male and female. God's just saying that He created humanity. God God created human beings. Excuse me. And remember, at this point, at this point in verse twenty-six, we don't see male and female coming to the picture. It'll come in here, and it'll come into the picture here in a little bit. Look at verse twenty-seven. So God created humankind in His image. In the image of God, He created them. Male. Now, now the genders come in. Male and female, He created them. Them. You know, for a church that believes in the sanctifying grace of Jesus Christ, this is a powerful verse of Scripture. We are created in the image of God. And there's no one gender who's created more of the image than the other. It says God created them. We, male and female, we are created in the very image of God. For me, the most probably the most influential passage of Scripture for our doctrine of, of, of sanctification is this passage right here. Let me explain. Lord, put that picture up on the screen. All right. <clears throat> it's a little blurry. What is that? This is, this is a, a painting from a, a French, French painter. Rene Marguerite. What is that? Somebody tell me. What's, what's on the screen? An apple. All right, there's writing up top. There's, there's writing up top. It's in French, and I don't speak French, but let me tell you what it says. The artist, I mean, he just thinks he's hilarious. In French, that says, this is not an apple. <laughs> I, me, me, Eugene, Joe, we think it's funny. It'll click here in a little bit. This is not an apple. Like, yeah, it is. That's an apple. It's not an apple. It's a canvas with paint on it. 
and the paint is arrayed in such a way that it looks like an apple. I mean, no, that's not an apple. You, go, you want to go eat that? No. Are we God? No. Are we trying to be God? No. But our lives are the very image, are the very reflecting image of God. Or that's God's intention. Through God's grace, through God's sanctifying power, we can be reflective of God. This, this not only speaks to our individual lives, but it speaks to our marriages. I believe that our marriages are to be reflective of God's love. I believe that should be the goal for every marriage, is to be reflective of God's love. You can take it down, Lord. Thank you. It is also important to understand that this text, it keys us in on the fact that male and female are equally created in God's image. None reflect God's image more than the other. And then look at verses 28 and 29 as, as we go on through. God blessed him and asked him to be fruitful and multiply. It, it, it's clear, as, as 28 and 29, it, it gives us a clear image that, that God is speaking of marriage in these verses. The word them is used in these commands that are given to male and female, that are given to Adam and Eve. We'll go ahead and start calling Adam and Eve. The, understand Adam and Eve, they don't get their names until you get into verse 3. I mean, you get into chapter 3, excuse me. This command to produce offspring includes the command to be good stewards of God's creation. To, to subdue, to, to fill the earth and subdue it. To, to be a good steward of, of that which, which God has, has given us. This was God's command for, for male and female from the very beginning. God's earth and its resources are to be cared for by us and and with the knowledge that it's not ours, but it's God's which has been given to us. It's been put on loan for us. Now, if we take this, if we take this count literal, then Adam and Eve better get to work. The world's a big place, and God's told them to multiply it and to fill it. They better, they better, man, they got a lot of work to do. Or perhaps, perhaps God is, in God commanding us to be fruitful, and multiply. He's not talking about just having children, but he's, he's, he's saying that our marriages should be fruitful, meaning that your marriage should make an impact on the kingdom of God. That your, mar- your, your marriage should, 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 the result of it should have a lasting impact on the kingdom of God. This is true for us as individuals. Our individual lives. Those of us those of us who are not burdened with a spouse. Wait for y'all to catch that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Couple of your life. Yeah. Those of you who may not be in that boat, your, your individual lives are to have an impact on the kingdom of God. We've gotten a, we've gotten a very broad picture of, of the marriage in, in Genesis 1, but but now, as we move into Genesis 2, we're, we're, going to, we're going to put the relationship between male and female under a microscope. We're going to take a closer look at God's intentions of this relationship between man and woman. As we look at Genesis 2, we remember that the Hebrew word for, for man is Adam. 
or Adam, all right, which, which, which does not give gender yet, but, but it just at this point just means humankind. Don't forget that. So let's look, at, let's look at two. In reading Genesis chapter 2, where we see man, we're going to say humankind as we read. Let's look at Genesis uh, chapter 2, verses 5 through 9. And where you see man, I'm going to, I'm going to put the Hebrew, I'm going to put the Hebrew meaning humankind. Chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 5. When no plant of the field was yet in the earth, and no herb of the field had yet sprung up for the Lord, God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no human to till the ground. But a stream would rise from the earth and the water, and the water, and water the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord formed human, humankind, from the dust of the ground, and breathed into humans' nostrils the breath of life. And the human became a living being. And the Lord planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put humanity, humankind, whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord God made to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree, of, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Skip down, skip down to verse 15. The Lord God took the human and put the human in the garden of Eden to, it and, and to till it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the human, or, or he commanded humankind, you may freely eat of the tree, in the, uh, you may eat, freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat it you shall, you shall die. God is describing all that, human, all that humanity, all that humankind, all that man, all that man is to do in the garden. And how man is to work the garden and to live in the garden. Again, in Genesis 2, to, at this point, there's still no mention of male or female. We're getting there. We've only seen God created humanity and instruct the human to do all the things. And in verse 20, we see a beautiful turn. In verse 20 of chapter 2, we see a beautiful turn. God sees that, that, that human, that man, needs a helper. He sees that that humanity needs a a helper. Look at verse 20. The man gave names to all cattle and to the birds of the air and to every animal of the field. But but for the man there was not found a a helper as his partner. I love this. This is is going to get really beautiful. He said that God needed, I mean that man needed a helper. Now, the Hebrew word there for helper is, is a Hebrew word, Izer, E-Z-E-R. Now, don't think of the term helper as a subservient role. Because this word helper, Izer, E-Z-E-R, is going to come up again in the Psalms, where the psalmist says, the Lord God is my help. Now, you don't think of God as being subservient to us, right? So God, he understood that man needed a partner. Man needed a helper to, to come along and to, and to help fulfill all that, that he was wanting them to do. And then verse 21 comes. God, God sees that the animals are not fit to be his helper. Although we, we all love Fido, he's, 
he's, he's not fit to be our helper. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. Verse 21. And while he was sleeping, he took one of man's ribs and closed up the place with his flesh. And this is where it gets beautiful. Verse 22. Verse 23. Then the man said, At last. At last. Turn to your neighbor and say, At last. This is at last. Bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman. For out of man this one was taken. At last. The Hebrew word there is paham. It's a, it's a Hebrew expression for wow or whoa. Man wakes up. Now that we've got genders now. Man wakes up and sees his partner and goes, Paham. Millennials in here? Let me let me put it in a, let me put it in your language. Man wakes up and says, Dang girl. <laughs> he does. He does. It, I, I'm, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Oh, I've been I've been oh, I've been sitting on that one all week. But, but it is. Paham. It's, it's a Hebrew expression for wow or, or for whoa or for dang, girl. Let me illustrate this way. <clears throat> if I get through without crying. <clears throat> oh. On May 27th, 2006, doors at the back of a church opened up. And I was at the front of the church. And when those doors opened up, I said, whoa. That's when Casey come down, came down the aisle and for whatever reason she decided to marry me. I said, wow. Man, he, man, man sees his helper and he, he says, wow. Men, let me help your marriage. Let me help your marriage. Next time, when you guys are getting ready, next time your wife, uh, she's getting ready, she walks out the shower, just, just, I mean, just lay some biblical language on Just say, paham. Just, just give it a shot. I mean, I'm telling you, I'm trying to help your marriage. I'm trying to help your marriage. I mean, just, just look at it and go, paham. I'm telling you, you never know what that may lead to. I'm just trying to help. We now, we now see the, I'm trying to grow my church. We now see, we now see the different genders come in to the picture. Man and woman. The Hebrew word for man is ish. The Hebrew uh, word for woman is Isha. And then verse 21 and 23, we, we, uh, we see uh, the natural reaction. You know, he says, whoa. And then, then man makes this statement. Then man makes this statement. Therefore, a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife. And they become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The word clings. It, it literally means fittedness, like a belt fits, fits into a buckle. Not only is there a physical fittedness between male and female, but there's also a spiritual and an emotional fittedness for man and for woman. And this was, this was God's design from the, from the very 
very beginning. Marriage is, is to be a bond of male and female to be one flesh. And it's, it's really interesting when you look at the, the creation story, you see, you see humanity, it starts as one flesh, then God separates it, each and each shop, and then he brings them back together as one flesh in what is marriage. And I believe that is God's view, that that, that, that is God's design for male and female. But there's a tragedy in the story. You know, there's always, in every good love story, there's a tragedy. Man and woman being one flesh, working together, helping each other to, to build and make a, make a family is God's intention. However, Genesis 3 tells us it doesn't take long. It doesn't take long. Honeymoon doesn't take long to get over with, does it? We see in 3 that Genesis 3, that, that, that sin enters the world, that, uh, that Satan comes onto the picture. He tempts the, the woman and the man. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say he tempts both of them. I'm not going to get in that argument. And sin enters the world. This, this separation between God and humanity, this separation between God and male and female happens because of their disobedience. And unfortunately, there are then consequences. Verse Chapter 3, 16, the consequence for, for the woman is pain in childbirth. The, the other consequence is husband shall rule over you. That's in verse 316. That's in chapter 316. And then for the man, he's going to have a rough time making a living. Man who he's, man who, who he's designed to be with his wife all the time. He's now got to go out. He's got to work that ground. He's got to go out and he's got to, he's got to provide for the family. And that, I think that, that's not just exclusive to men, obviously, but, but male-female. It, it, it now takes work to, to, to provide for this family because, of, because those are the consequences of sin. And I believe that this is not how God wanted marriage. This is not how God wanted marriage, but, but, but these consequences are sin's taint upon God's original intent. There is a reason that marriage takes work. There's a reason why it takes work, because our natural desire, because of sin, is to be selfish. Our natural desire, because of sin, is to worry about us. Is to provide for our own needs. However, I believe that it is possible through God's grace, through His Son, Jesus Christ, that we can rise above this cursed place in, verse, in chapter 3. That in our marriages, we can be selfless. That in our marriages, we can reproduce this picture in, in Genesis 1 and 2. I really believe it. But it takes work. You don't just get married and then you, it, takes, it takes an effort. Let's wrap it up with some good news. In our marriages, I hope that we are seeking the mutual respect of each other. And our view of one another is not who has the power in the relationship. But that we are both helpers to each other. I mean, understand, I, I don't want to get... If, if you read Genesis 1 and 2, the, 
and when you look at the original language, it's not so much that there was the gender man who then got a helper. We see that there was humankind who got a helper. So I believe that in our marriages, while the Bible in the New Testament, I mean, I understand that there is a, uh, that there was a spiritual task for the man to be the head of the household in, in this, but I do not believe that that is to say that someone in that relationship is subservient to the other. You understand that? Because while the Bible may talk about a man being the spiritual head of the household, the Bible also says that men are to love your wife as Christ loved the church. We'll get into that in, in, uh, not next week, but the next week. Guys, that is a big challenge. How did Christ love the church? He died for it. Yes, with his heart, with his life. Guys, I, I, believe, I believe that that in our marriages, despite the curse, Genesis tells us that, that God's intention for a man and for a woman in, in marriage is that they complement each other. That, they, that they, they complement each other's strengths and weaknesses, that they be both vulnerable and trusting. Discovering safety and reverently receiving the gifts of intimacy. I believe that this is God's design for marriage. I've laid out the big picture. I've, I've, I've laid out God's design, and for the next couple of weeks, we're going to then put that design on a microscope and look at different specifics on how, how you play that design out. I'm excited about a marriage enrichment weekend on the 22nd and 23rd of February. But we'll have someone come in and, and, and give you even more advice than better advice. Because you understand, I, the only qualification I have is, you know, I've, I've been, we've been married seven years. Case and I, we don't have the perfect marriage. But we can share with you our life experiences. And I think together, together we can journey through this. But understand, God has a design for you and your spouse. And ultimately, that design is for you and your spouse to glorify God in your marriage. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. God, designer of, of all of this, Lord, I... I pray that through your grace that we can look at your original design, we can look at your original intent, and Lord, and Lord, that we can reflect that. Lord, your word tells us that, that we were created in your image. And I don't, I don't believe that that changed when sin entered the world. I believe that through, your, through the grace of your son, through your son, that we can be reflectors, that, that we can reflect your goodness, that we can reflect your love, that we can reflect your grace, not only in our individual lives, but also in the lives of our marriages. Father, I, I pray for, for marriages all over the world. I mean, Lord, we're, we're seeing a world where, where, where kids have to experience the broken homes. Father, that's not your design. That's not your intent. And Lord, I, I pray as a Christian community that, that, we, that we take back marriage, that, that we 
that we truly understand what it means to make a family. And that it takes work. It takes relying on your word. And I pray that each and every one of us in here will commit to that for these next few weeks. And, and that we just won't commit to it, but it'll become a lifestyle change. It'll become a part of who we are. Wanting, having the desire for our marriage to reflect your love. Not just marriages, just all relationships. The interaction between friend and friend, the interaction between uh, co-worker and co-worker, just having a desire to, to all, in all that we do, reflect you. Lord, I pray a special blessing upon those who are gathered here, whether married, whether single, whatever walk of life, bless them. Walk with them. May your grace be real to them today. And Lord, may, may you sanctify us holy and keep us blameless until the coming of your Son. For the one who, who calls us to this is faithful and able to do it. And all God's people said together, Amen, Amen. You guys are dismissed.